0: New York Governor Kathy Hochul says she will press the state legislature to adopt her plan to further revise the state's controversial bail reform laws. However, legislative leaders remain reluctant to make more changes without better data on the law's true effects. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports.
1: The 2019 law ended many forms of cash bail. Critics believe it's contributed to a crime spike. They say the statute needs to be amended to allow judges more discretion if they believe that a defendant might be dangerous if they're released before their trial without having to post bond. Tockel, whose opponent in the closely contested governor's race last November made a campaign issue out of the bail reform laws, is responding to the criticisms. In her state of the state message, she proposed revisions to the law to make it easier for judges to set bail for more serious crimes. The judge should have more discretion and to be able to consider more factors than simply whether or not the individual is likely to return to court when they're required to. Hokel says the way the statute is written creates conflicts for judges. The law requires that they must consider what are known as the least restrictive means that are necessary to ensure that a defendant returns for their court date. But another part of the law, amended in 2022, permits judges to consider other factors when deciding whether to set bail. They include whether the alleged crime included use or possession of a handgun or if domestic violence was involved. We have an inconsistency in the law right now. Hochul says the proposed tweaks to the law do not undermine the fundamental premise behind bail reform, which she says is to prevent people from long stays in jail simply because of income inequality and their inability to pay for bail. Because individuals accused of low-level crimes, petty crimes, should not have to be sitting in Rikers Island for three years awaiting their day in court. Democrats, who hold supermajorities in both houses of the legislature, are reluctant to sign on to further revisions to the law. Senate Leader Andrea Stork Cousins says the original law was limited to ending bail for misdemeanors and nonviolent felonies. She says judges have always had the ability to impose bail for people accused of more serious crimes. The Senate Leader says a hearing on the effects of the law to be held January 30th will provide more clarity.
2: Our committees will be having a joint hearing to go over data uh, at the end of January, where we will again have some context where we begin to discuss what, if any, Anything should be done.
1: Senator Zelnor Myrie is one of the several progressive-leaning senators who would need to back Hochul's proposed changes for the bail reform revisions to be approved. Myrie says he's reserving judgment on the proposal for now, but he says any efforts to curb crime must also include plans to lift more people out of poverty.
3: Any discussion on public safety should also be
0: including prevention of crime, should be attacking the root causes of crime giving people a job, housing, educational opportunities.
1: Senator Myrie is the sponsor of a measure known as Clean Slate. It would seal the conviction records for people found guilty of nonviolent crimes and who have completed their time in prison or on parole. He says it would eliminate barriers to housing and employment that many people with criminal records face. But he says he's reluctant to change the laws to respond to what he says are anecdotes and fear tactics by the opponents. Republicans who are in the minority party in both houses say that Hochul's proposal doesn't go far enough and that the entire law should be repealed. Among them is Senator Tom O'Mara. He's a ranking member of the Senate Finance Committee and is also on the Judiciary and Codes Committees.
4: This is a step in the right direction. Small step, I believe. I don't think that's going
0: to be enough. Uh, to reverse this dangerous trend that we have going on today.
1: The governor will have some leverage to get her proposal approved by the legislature during the upcoming budget season. Last year, the governor held up the spending plan for nine days after the due date until reluctant lawmakers finally acquiesced and agreed to some bail reform changes. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt.
0: We're listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok spoke with Republican Assembly Minority Leader Will Barkley this week about Governor Hochul's push to revise the state's bail laws, asking him what he thought of the move.
4: I agree with the governor. Can you believe me saying this? But I yeah. believe I am backing the governor on that. Proposal. And I think he had questioned most people. Uh, New Yorkers would say, "Yeah, that seems like a common sense change." Other states that have implemented so-called bail reform, like New Jersey, they do have a dangerous standard. So if the person uh, is a danger to the community, uh, that the judge can set bail. And why we don't, why we got rid of that and stripped that power away from judges, uh, I think
2: has had terrible consequences in New York. Well, so give us, you know, the real stuff here. You know, what's behind this? If it makes no sense, why are we doing it? Well, why
4: why don't we reform it? I, I just think it's, well, politically, obviously, it's the progressives, our uh, left uh, members of the legislature that want to admit that they made a mistake and won't want to change the bail law. I think that's the problem. And the numbers, the numbers are there. It's very tough to get these things done. In fact, they want to double down. As I said, they want to further so-called criminal justice reforms like clean slate uh, getting rid of qualified immunity for police etc
2: could you stop right there and explain those two you just mentioned clean slate
4: and others well, clean slate would essentially erase any criminal record from any anybody except for very few crimes so um, you know the one i i always point to is why would you want to not know that someone's been convicted of you know twi if they're applying for a uh, bus driver, you know, bus driving job or some sort of public transportation driver. So I think that is, you know, proud back. I, you know, listen, we want to give everybody a second chance. I think that's human nature and we hope the best out of people, but it doesn't mean we want to just put our heads in the sand and not know what someone's history is when it comes to criminal qualified immunity means you can't sue a police person uh, for their on the job duties. And there's that protection in place because uh, they have to make very tough decisions from time to time um with, you know you have to think of a self-defense or a shooting incident you know police have to make split second decisions and they can't be held accountable always for those types of decisions there should be uh, given immunity from having uh private lawsuits brought against them well, i have hired
2: many people at the radio station that i run and other places and I want to know if they've got a criminal history. Is that wrong of me? No, I think, I think it's absolutely
4: right. And it doesn't mean you can't go ahead and hire them. No. But particularly, I mean, and, you know, you think about what we do is in our jobs, and maybe that's not, you know, is as important to know the criminal history. But when it's specifically uh, related to what the job they're going to do, and I take the example as a DWI, if someone has three or four DWIs, you certainly don't want to hire them as a bus driver. There's nothing wrong with doing that. I don't think it's not so much giving someone second chance, but my goodness. Uh, or, you know, I don't know whether other crimes are out there, but when it's specifically related to the job they're applying for, you should certainly know their background. And to clean, wipe that clean makes no sense
2: to me. So you agree with Kathy Hochul when she says giving judges more leeway to hold in jail someone accused of a serious violent crime makes sense, right? I
4: do, completely. And that's something we've been calling for. We've... Right as soon as bail reform was instituted, we said that was one of the changes. What we have to do, um, I think, probably what's most egregious, because it's very obvious, because pain is a, a partisan issue, which it really isn't, uh, is listen to law enforcement. Because that's what law enforcement, that's what the judges, that's what the prosecutors have been saying very long, Democrat and Republican.
2: Now, a new Siena poll shows Hochul at her highest approval rating ever. Do you think acknowledging an issue like bail reform is behind this? In in addition, do you think that the governor is strategically positioning herself as a centrist Democrat and a buffer against progressives in the Democratic Party?
4: I hope so. I, I hope so. I do think the LaSalle case, as much as people are paying attention, did help her uh, numbers in that regard because it looks like she's finally pushing back against what I think most New Yorkers would say are illogical policies put forth by the progressives in both the Senate and the Assembly. So we'll see exactly what is causing that. Now, I think she needs to go further, but at least it's a good start. And I'm glad that, again, part of this is just recognizing the problem and the fact that she recognized that in her CISD. I'll give her credit for that.
0: That's Republican Assembly Minority Leader Will Barclay speaking with Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Charton. You are listening to The Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina Two weeks after her State of the State address, a new poll finds New Yorkers give Governor Kathy Hochul her best job approval rating ever. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas reports.
5: The Siena College Research Institute poll of registered voters shows Hochul's job approval coming in at 56 percent up seven points from last month, with 36 percent disapproving. CNS' Steve Greenberg says Hochul's approval is up sharply from last month.
6: When it was 49 to 44, so last month, five points on the positive side. Today, 20 points on the positive side. Uh, independence with her uh, thinks she's doing a good job, 47 to 43 percent. After last month, 58 percent of independents disapproved of the job she was doing. Uh, Little movement among upstate voters, but stronger approval rating for the governor among downstate voters. Her favorability rating right now, 48% of voters have a favorable view of Kathy Hochul. That's an all-time high, although I should point out she's never hit 50. Uh, Her previous high was 47 unfavorable. now 48. 42% of voters... View her unfavorably. So on the positive side, uh, by six points.
5: Hokel won a full four-year term in November and laid out her agenda for the year earlier this month. Greenberg says voters broadly support her plans.
6: Many of them enjoy wide bipartisan support. Her her proposal to not raise state income taxes this year. of voters support that, including 86% of Democrats, 84% of Republicans, 85% of Independents. Basing New York's minimum wage on the rate of inflation, 76%, more than three quarters of New Yorkers support that, including 88% of Democrats, 57% of Republicans, 69% Independents. Guaranteeing eligible state employees up to 12 weeks of paid family leave. Again, more than three quarters, 76%, including a majority of all parties support that. Amending the state constitution to include an equal rights amendment. 68% of New Yorkers support it, 20% oppose it. Republicans by a small uh, plurality oppose the ERA, Uh, BUT DEMOCRATS OVERWHELMINGLY AND INDEPENDENTS STRONGLY SUPPORT IT.
5: THE POLL ALSO TOUCHED ON THE THORNY BAIL REFORM ISSUE AND A PROPOSAL TO ALLOW SUNY TO INCREASE TUITION.
6: WHEN IT COMES TO GIVING JUDGES MORE DISCRETION TO SET BAIL FOR OFFENDERS ACCUSED OF SERIOUS CRIMES, NEARLY TWO-THIRDS, 65% OF NEW YORKERS SUPPORT THAT, ONLY A QUARTER, 24% OPPOSE IT. IT HAS SUPPORT FROM 61% OF REPUBLICANS 63% of independents and 68% of Democrats. One area where Republicans, Democrats and independents also agree, but not with the governor, is on her uh, proposal to allow SUNY schools to raise tuition by up to 3% at most of the schools, up to 6% at Albany and the other three university centers 62% of New Yorkers oppose that idea, compared to only 28% uh, who support it. And it has majority opposition, as I said, from Democrats, Republicans, and Independents.
5: Assemblymember Pat Fahey of the 109th District says she is pleased to see the results of the poll and happy for fellow Democrat Hochul.
7: I'm sure it's welcome news for her after last week with the defeat in the judiciary committee of her nominee, uh, Judge LaSalle, being opposed. So, so I'm sure this is very welcome news. And quite frankly, as we head into the budget, which is probably the most contentious time uh, here with the, the legislature, I think it's good because uh, the voters are clearly telling us they support her proposal not to raise income taxes, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Lots of support for for re-looking at the minimum wage and and possibly indexing it to inflation. And then I think she's getting this overwhelming support. I saw the article that said 95% of voters still believe crime is a serious problem. That was something she pivoted uh, to in her campaign a little late, but in October, November, and it's very clear the voters are still extremely concerned.
5: Hochul's budget plan is due to lawmakers by February 1st. The poll also finds New Yorkers of all political stripes want to see downstate Republican Congressman George Santos resign. After it emerged, he fabricated most of his life story. There's more at wamc.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas.
0: New York State is still sorting out how to spend over $2 billion in opioid settlement money from pharmaceutical companies. The money is meant to help address the opioid crisis. Reporting for the Legislative Gazette, WSKG's Phoebe Taylor-Vuolo checked on counties in New York's southern tier.
8: The number of New Yorkers who died from an opioid overdose increased by 14% from 2020 to 2021. That's according to a recently released report from the State Department of Health. Broome County also saw a spike in overdoses following the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Before the pandemic, the county had cut its overdose numbers in half. But this year, they're back where they started. 80 people died in 2022 from fatal overdoses. Now, county officials are trying to plan how to spend the windfall of money from their settlements, $1.6 million for 2022. Here's Broome County Executive Jason Garner.
6: You know, we we were able to go to court and hold these companies um, liable for what they did, and it's contingent on us to use this money and not just supplement it, to use this money in new ways to save lives and not just, you know, find a different way to pay for programs that were already doing.
8: Garner says the county is working with the Broome Opioid Awareness Council, a group made up of treatment providers and elected officials, to put together a request for proposals, or RFP. That way, local organizations that work to combat the opioid crisis can apply for funding. Garner says the focus has been on developing a sustainable, long-term plan for the funds. He says he'd like to see funds go towards overdose prevention, given that the county already has a few new treatment and detox programs starting up. Alexis Pluse is the executive director of Truth Farm, a local nonprofit and advocacy group. She's on the Broom Opioid Awareness Council, but she says they haven't had any input on the RFP process yet. Pluse says she'd like to see the money go towards gaps in services and smaller community organizations that can't bill insurance or Medicaid to stay afloat. So like in Broome County as an example, we're not as rich in harm reduction services
1: as we are in treatment services. So I'd like to see more money in harm reduction services.
8: Harm reduction doesn't require a person to stop using drugs to get care. Harm reduction services can include syringe exchange, safe injection or consumption sites, and distributing naloxone, an overdose reversing drug. None of Broome County's settlement funding has been spent yet. Steuben County is one of the few counties in the region that's already allocated money for 2022. Here's County Executive Jack Wheeler.
4: We know the need is here now and we have received most of the money that we expect for 2022, so we wanted to start making those investments now.
8: Steuben County received just under $700,000. Most of that money has gone towards expanding Catholic Charities' peer recovery program, hiring two new social workers for the county, youth prevention efforts, and other programs that support people in recovery. But Wheeler says the need is still there.
4: It's a lot of money. Uh, There's no doubt about it. It's a lot of money. But when you look at the scope of the issue and the cost of staffing, the cost of being able to address that, that money gets tied
2: up pretty quick.
8: Sarah Whaley is faculty at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. As part of the school's overdose prevention initiative, she works with states and counties to help them spend opioid settlement funds in the most effective ways. As it trickles on to the local level, it could be, you know, less than we think. Um, And so, Again, making sure that it's used strategically is going to be the like most crucial point to ensure its effectiveness. Whaley says that means planning long-term and actually evaluating what's been working in a community and what hasn't. She says counties should communicate with each other and look at what resources are and are not available across county borders. And Whaley says getting input from the community especially people who have been the most impacted by the overdose crisis, is extremely important. There's organizations that are on the ground doing the work. They're the ones that know what's needed, um, and also including the voices of people who use drugs. Like These are the people that the money is supposed to be helping. Whaley says the public should also get to see what happens with this money, That could mean putting together public-facing websites to show spending or holding community meetings throughout the process. Overall, she says it's good to be as transparent as possible. In Vestal, I'm Phoebe Taylor-Fuolo.
0: Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Young people have been hearing for years about the link between emerging technology and their 21st century future. So it's no surprise that robotics is an increasingly popular sport for middle and high schoolers. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard recently attended a robotics competition in Albany and sent this audio postcard.
3: The gymnasium at the Albany Academies in New York's capital city is filled with enthusiastic students and supporters for a qualifier for the FIRST Tech Challenge Robotics competition. Today in Albany, 16 teams are competing. John McNally, an engineering teacher at the Albany Academies, is the qualifying tournament's director. I would say it's the varsity sport of the mind. FIRST Robotics is a place where teams design and build robots and program them. And uh, they work collaboratively with their teammates in in innovative, creative, and um, problem-solving environments. The name of the game today is Power Play, presented by Raytheon Technologies. With fans packing the bleachers and balcony, robots using mechanical telescoping arms stack colored cups onto poles of varying height on the gym floor. The fans cheer as the timer counts down and the robots scurry around the 12-by-12 field. In the last round of the day, an alliance competition involving teams of two, Saratoga County 4-H's Robovines and Augustine Classical Academy's Hippopotamus captured the finals. Junior Henry Labarge is a member of the victorious Robovines team. All very excited it was very drawn out we went to the very last match we possibly could have and at first it looked like we were losing and then at the very end it looks like we won so it was probably the most exciting it probably could have the students competing here must work as a unit in designing building and competing with their robot LaBarge says the sport also helps students make new friends and speaking for himself come out of their shell. It creates kids who start off maybe being shy or not really wanting to get into everything, but once you get into it, once you're in it for a few years, you're up there, you're good at presenting, you're good at leading a team and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, Currently I'm running a couple of different younger programs. Uh, When I started off I like barely spoke a sentence every single meeting and I think that's the best part. In addition to winning the competition rounds, teams are also presented other judged awards, including the Inspire Award. Winners are chosen by judges as the teams that exemplify the sport, including sharing their experience, know-how and enthusiasm with other teams. The RoboVines captured first place, an honor that qualifies them for the regional competition in March at Mohawk Valley Community College. Charles Hsu, a 10th grader at the Albany Academies, also competes in robotics but is only volunteering on this day. Like Labard, she especially loves the social aspects of the sport. It's all, it's all the new people you meet, it's all the teams that you see. Um, I love, I really love the culture of these robotics uh, competitions because a lot of the teams will just go around and intermingle. We'll, you know, we'll share information on our own robots with other teams. We'll help out, we'll get helped out. Tournament director McNally says it's an honor being part of a sport that provides opportunities to students. Um, I believe there were friendships made. There were problems solved. There was conflict. There was perseverance all going on in this this gymnasium today. Um, So uh, that's that's what I'm here for, you know, we do it for the kids. More than 3,000 FIRST Robotics competition teams represent 26 countries and regions in a sport that dates to 1992. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard.
0: And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2304. Or just listen online at wamc.org or schedule a podcast wherever you get your podcast. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.